Hi, my name is Lisa Fields, the founder and president of the Jude 3 Project, and I'm so excited because on Monday, September 3rd, we're having our first Courageous Conversations event. Now, those who have been rocking with us for a while know that we've done Courageous Conversations in the past, but it's been via Google Hangouts where we take a scholar or pastor trained in a more conservative evangelical space and a scholar and pastor trained in a more mainline progressive space. And I'm so excited because we're moving from these Google Hangouts to an actual event that's going to be phenomenal. We have 24 scholars and pastors lined up to talk about things like sexuality, the authority of scripture, justice, Paul versus Jesus. It's going to be amazing. Some of the people that we have are Dr. Judy Finchers, Williams, Dr. Jarvis Williams, Dr. Bruce Fields, Dr. Howard John Wesley, Dr. Delman Coates, Dr. Brianna Parker, Dr. Teresa Fry Brown. I mean, it is going to be amazing. Dr. Yolanda Pierce, you don't want to miss this event. So I want you to go on Jew3Project.com and register early bird registration is only $25 and that is honestly a steal but we wanted to make it reasonable for you all so meet us in Chicago Illinois on Monday September 3rd it's going to be a phenomenal experience I don't think anything like this has ever been done so join us as we make history now let's get to the Jew 3 Project podcast Hello, welcome to the Jew3 Project Podcast. I'm your host, Lisa Fields. I'm the founder of the Jew3 Project. Well, thank you for watching another episode of the Jew3 Project Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Lisa Fields, the founder of the Jew3 Project. And today I'm joined by another special guest, Dr. Zach Mills. Welcome, Dr. Mills. Thank you so much for having me, Lisa. I'm excited to have you on. I saw your book. Uh, I stumbled across it um, just scrolling <laughs> on Facebook one day. We had a mutual friend and I was like, oh, this is this looks interesting. Then I added you uh, as a Facebook friend and I was like, man, I'm gonna get him on the podcast. And I finally reached out to you yeah. um, this weekend um, to to uh, get try to get you on the podcast. So I'm so excited that you um, accepted the request um, and you were free this week. So it was short notice. So I'm, ex- I'm excited for that. Um, for those who don't know who you are, just give them a little bit of background about yourself. Sure. Uh, my name is Zach Mills. I am a communication scholar and um, a preacher. And so my my passion is communication, all things related to how we communicate. And, um, you know, my big passion is how do we use words? How do we use communication um, to bridge divides, to close gaps, to bring us closer together? And so um, I really I teach preaching classes. I teach public speaking classes. And uh, so pretty much I nerd out over anything related to communication. So that's that's my thing. That's good. I, I probably need your assistance so I can stop saying um so much. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, <I'll do> <laughs> um, for those who uh, haven't heard, what is the title of your book and why did you um, think it was important to write it? Yeah. Uh, so the title of the book is called The Last Blues Preacher. Reverend Clay Evans, Black Lives, and the Faith That Woke the Nation. Um, let's see. The, why did I feel um, like I should write it? The, like the the short story is it really it was really like something I felt led to do. It, it really was a calling, um, and I, I know that kind of 
to some that might sound weird or corny, but um, it, it really was like I I did not start out in my mind thinking, hey, I'm going to just write Reverend Clay Evans biography. I'm going to write a biography. That was the furthest thing from my mind. Um, it just so happened that a church I was serving in Chicago uh, in 2011, I was approached by by two people after service one day and they asked me if I'd heard of Reverend Evans. And I said, well, I've heard of him, but I don't know him um, personally. And they asked me um, if I'd be interested in writing his biography. And I was like, uh, is this is this real? And um, so then we met and uh, he, there were so many similarities between me and Reverend Evans that um, I, I really kind of felt like this was a universe kind of thing, a God kind of thing, lining this up. Um, and so that's that's really really was just something I felt led to do after I met him and saw that we had it was scary, Lisa, how many things we had in common and um, the blues, like the pain that Reverend Evans went through. That's really why that made the title, um, because that's something I really connected with. I had different struggles, different pains, but they it was a similar we could relate. It was so relatable. Um, and oftentimes we see someone like Clay Evans, who's this larger than life figure, and we kind of see the end result. We don't see everything that it took to get there. So that's really, you know, the similarities that we had. And then um, how relatable his story was, even though he had done things I had not done in my life, it was so relatable and so real. So I just felt led to write it. That's awesome. So uh, for those who don't know who Clay Evans is, kind of just give... Um, a little bit of background for our audience. Yeah, Reverend Clay Evans is, um, he was this pastor and civil rights leader in Chicago. Um, his church, Fellowship Missionary Baptist Church, he was the senior pastor of that church for 50 years. Uh, so let's see, 1950 to 2000, he led Fellowship Missionary Baptist Church, um, born in Brownsville, Tennessee. So uh, I was literally just in Brownsville um, last night uh, for a book signing. And uh, he was born there, uh, the son of sharecroppers, and moves to Chicago in 1945 to escape racism and, and find a better life. Um, and then made a name for himself as a gospel music singer, became this famous gospel music singer in Chicago. And then linked up with Dr. King in, in the 1960s and was like instrumental in Dr. King getting his foot in Chicago for the Chicago Freedom Movement. So so Clay Evans is just this um, incredible gospel singer and a very courageous civil rights leader who uh, made waves for a half a century in Chicago and is still making waves now. He's not really making many public appearances, but uh, people call him and rightly so the godfather of black preachers in Chicago. And so people are still um, being inspired by his legacy, even in 2018. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I think that's amazing. As you were writing this book, uh, what was some things that really stuck out to you about his life? Wow. Um, the trauma. That was first, the trauma that he had gone through, um, definitely in Brownsville, as he's working in sharecropping fields, as he's talking about that experience saying, uh, you know, I, I asked him, how long would you guys work? He said, well, you didn't count it by hours. You, you count it by the sun. You, hmm. you start working when the sun, before the sun comes up and you keep working usually when the sun goes down. And so just he described it as slavery, 
he said it was slavery times. And so just that pain and then coming to Chicago and then, you know, you look at someone like Clay Evans who walked with Dr. King, but you never hear those stories about when he moves to Chicago and he's sleeping in a family friend's house at night and in a bad part of town and rats are crawling across his feet at night. Mm. Um, you don't hear stories about when he was three, he didn't speak words until he was almost three. Um, he, he was a sickly child. He was made fun of, he was bullied in school, um, had, had very low self-esteem as a, as a youngster. Um, those were the stories that really stuck out to me because you don't hear those. And as I began to hear more of those stories, I say, gosh, he's, he's similar to me than I thought. You know, this famous, incredibly courageous person who walked with giants and who's a giant himself is, is, is like, I struggle with that too, or that happened to me too. So the pain that I didn't think he had gone through and then how relatable it was, um, that was one thing. And then um, there were so many things, Lisa, his humor. I didn't realize how funny he was. Someone who had gone through so much hardship, so many dark moments. The brother is absolutely hysterical. Like <laughs> there were times when interviews, when I would kind of get frustrated with him because he would have all of us cracking up and I'm like trying to like engage in some serious line of questioning and we're trying to get deeper into the story and he's just cracking jokes. He was just hilarious. So that was, that was really cool to see that um, someone who had gone through so many things, who had done so many amazing things, who was so respected by so many, but wasn't the kind of person who took himself too seriously. Um, took his, his calling seriously, took his work seriously, but he's so down to earth. That was another thing that stuck out to me because it made my job so much easier as like his biographer. He set me at ease. Um, and yeah, so he was just, he was so funny. So those were two things that really stuck out. That's awesome. And I, you, you talked about his time in the South, sharecropping, yeah. and then him coming to Chicago, I mean, right. going to Chicago, which seems like a more progressive space um, than the South. The, the, um, you talk about a little bit of how racism in the South differed from racism in more progressive spaces. Yeah. Yeah. So that was one of the things that was very jarring for Clay Evans. Um, because the kind of racism he knew in the South was like black folk are getting hung and shot and thrown into rivers. Um, and, uh, you know, being called the N word on, on, on sidewalks, that kind of, so it was so overt, um, so physical, um, so visceral, so in your face. And so he moves to Chicago thinking, um, trying to escape that he does escape that kind of racial terror but he realizes that Chicago is much like the South. There's another kind of racial terror there, but it was more subtle. It was more artful and savvy. Um, and so that was kind of one of the things that discouraged him early on was he was so excited and perhaps a little naive as we, I think we all would have been in his shoes, um, just coming to this, this black metropolis um, as many understood it. And a land of greater opportunity and in so many ways it was, but um, yeah, there, there was the, the, the city structure, the, the political elite in Chicago was just 
such a force. And, and Clay Evans came to realize as he began to go toe to toe uh, with the with Mayor Daley, the older Mayor Daley, the, the Daley regime, he realized how um, how the struggles of race were very much alive in Chicago. Um, and, in, you know, Dr. King even says all the stuff he experienced in the South, uh, he had never experienced the kind of um, the kind of racial hostility that he experienced in Chicago. So, yeah, I think it was in some ways more artful and savvy and in, in some ways it, very much in your face in Chicago. So, yeah, that was that was a kind of a, a moment of disillusionment for Clay Evans that he realized it. It was a city of promise, but not quite, not quite the perfect city of promise that many people had thought it was. Mm-hmm. That's that's really good and really helpful. I have um some friends who went out to uh, the Bay Area in the tech um space, and you know you assuming as an African American going to that space that's so progressive, yep. and them talking about the the racism that they experience, how it kind of takes different forms. So. Um, as you were talking about, you know, what Dr. Evans, I mean, Reverend Clay Evans experiences, it sounds like similar to some things we deal with today, thinking if I go to certain areas that are more progressive, um, then they're going to be more, they're going to be kinder to me as a minority, but then you find different forms of no, racism. No, it's true. It, it exists everywhere. And it, it is, it is more savvy and subtle in some places, which initially kind of makes those spaces attractive to us because we, we our perception is that it's it's not quite as bad there mm-hmm. and uh you know it's we often find that it is it is bad and sometimes even more uh even more prevalent and worse it's just figured out a way to camouflage itself and you know as clay evans found racism and and internalized racism and self-hatred found its way into many black pastors in Chicago. So, so racism and prejudice and bigotry uh, that, that, that were inflicted upon black folk over time, many of them kind of in, in, ingested some of that and internalized some of it. And then it began to project itself from black folk to other black folk in some instances. And so, so racism, yeah, I think that, Clevens found that. I think we're finding that today that it, it's it's so artful and it, it is so savvy and if it, it does camouflage itself even in the form of progressive thinkers and Christian leaders. Uh, so yeah, that's it's it's a it's an ongoing struggle. Mm-hmm. Can you talk a little bit more about that self hatred he found in that um, in in with in this black church space? Yeah, yeah, and you know. The the cool thing about Clay Evans is, um, it, at least what I what I observed of him, he didn't seem like he was the kind of person uh, who really engaged in self hatred. I think that he um, he did battle with self esteem issues, but you know the kinds of ways that you know we we have seen how you know white folk and other kinds of people who have systematically oppressed other kinds of people and and those people. Um, have, have, have at times in, in, you know, ingested, consumed these kind of negative perceptions of themselves. And it turns into, you know, uh, the point when a person starts to believe the negative things that another culture has told them about themselves. And so self-hatred in that way that I think that there were some, some people in Chicago that he encountered that were, that 
were engaged in this um, the sickness of self hatred, and that 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 sickness of self hatred was being perpetrate was being per- perpetuated and fueled in some ways by in many ways, but in some ways by city leaders in Chicago, white city leaders who were giving certain black religious leaders benefits and backroom deals for continue for for pushing the the city agenda and kind of turning a blind eye to some of the injustices that were going on in black communities. And so I think that 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 notion of self-hatred is bound up in into this issue of power and elitism and, and politics and how it can be fueled. If you feel like you're getting certain kinds of benefits that you weren't getting before, you know, and people don't often think of self-hatred in that way, but I think that it, it can be related. Um, so, so, so certainly Clay Evans and, and, and Dr. King experienced a lot of um, pushback from, from some black pastors and some of them weren't engaged in self-hatred. Some of them were, but um, Chicago politics was really tricky and still is. And so I think that um, a a lot of what was happening was this combination of self-hatred and then also just the seduction of power that was, that was being offered from the higher ups and city leadership. Mm, That's really good. Cause many people often don't think of, self-hatred manifesting that way, but that's an excellent point. Um, can you speak to, um, Doc, I mean, Reverend Clay Evans work with Dr. King and how they became friends and how their work um, kind of helped um, in Chicago? Yeah. Um, so let's see. Jesse Jackson started attending um, Fellowship Missionary Baptist Church, Reverend Evans Church, about 1965. That's when those two were introduced. And Jesse was already really involved in the civil rights movement and I think had worked with Dr. King on, on one or two previous initiatives. And so I th- uh, my understanding is that, that Jesse was the one who kind of made initial introductions. Um, who knows exactly when Clay and, and Dr. King met and how, but that's kind of my, um, to, to my knowledge, it seems that like Reverend Jackson introduced those two, uh, but it was really 1966 when King moves to Chicago to launch the Chicago freedom movement, because he says, you know, you know, if we can get some kind of movement going on in the North, uh, we can, we can, it will be undeniable proof that America has a racial problem. It's not just in the South. It's, it's, it's a problem that's, that's manifesting everywhere in the country. But then black pastors just started trying to do everything under power. Many of them, not all, many tried to get Dr. King from coming because a lot had um, kind of had their hand in the cookie jar, so to speak, in, in you know, Chicago politics and these backroom deals. Um, certainly not all, uh, but there was a lot of pushback from black pastors. And Clay Evans was one who opened up the doors of Fellowship Missionary Baptist Church for Dr. King, one, one of a few, um, to have weekly meetings. And so that's where they had a lot of these meetings was Fellowship Missionary Baptist Church. And it just so happened that Clay Evans was building a new sanctuary at the time and was warned by city leaders, don't you mess around with Dr. King. If you do, we're going to, there will be consequences. And And the one consequence was the city shut down the building project on Clay Evans' new sanctuary. 
his his sanctuary stood on there's famous pictures of it steel beams and concrete this looks like a skeleton stood like that for seven years uh, because he chose to stand with dr king and and support what dr king was doing so that that was really i think what solidified their friendship and um ministers like father michael flager in chicago told me that uh coretta scott king years later told him how much um how much dr king admired and appreciated what Reverend Evans did by standing with him. So I think that was the kind of thing that really um, brought those two together, that struggle, both from city leaders and and unexpectedly many black pastors where those two were just um, knit together by the, the craziness and chaos of that circumstance. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. Um, what, what things did they push in Chicago? What were the most pressing things that they saw at that time that they were um, initiatives they were trying to get going there. Yeah. So I, I think Clay Evans um, really agreed with Dr. King that segregation in schools, um, so poor schools, segregated schools, um, and slum conditions, th- those were the things that I think he, he and, and Reverend Jackson were trying to, to, to push when they founded, they founded Operation those are the issues that were really um, most pressing to them and uh, to Dr. King. So I think, yeah, the segregation of schools, poverty, slum conditions. Um, but then you get to the 1980s. And I think that for Clay Evans at that time, it was more the way that uh, black religious leaders were fractured in Chicago. So you have this, this, I don't know where it comes from, but like this uh, divide between South Side black pastors and West Side black pastors. Even today, there's this joke that you know they're, they they tease each other, like you know. Um, so there there was this divide between them, and in the '80s, Clay Evans was part of this um, initiative to bring them together, um, and they called themselves um, the Concerned Clergy for a Better Chicago because they felt. There were all these social issues and, and not enough coalitions of black pastors coming together. So that was the most pressing issue. They came together and they started addressing um, issues one by one in, in the city. And so I think that that was a great model for how to like take stock of the ways that divisions you know, are, are present, but then to, to go beyond just naming the, oh yeah, we're all divided, to go beyond that and to actually take steps to say, okay, how do we how do we get over this this divide? How do we bring people together? And then once we're together, how do we systematically begin to start addressing the issues that are most pressing? So, yeah, I love that. I love that. Because me, um, I go. I go. The sound is coming up in my head. Oh yeah. <laughs> okay. Can you I can me? hear you now. Yeah, I can hear you now. Okay. Yeah. You know, and I mean, that's what I love about the work you're doing, Lisa, is that um, it, it's bringing people together and it's not just bringing people together who agree, who share similar beliefs. And that's, that's one of the, like, that's what I would say is one of the most pressing needs now is um, that we're, we live in this society where we're immediately burning bridges with one another. 
because we share different beliefs. So we're so quick to do that, you know, to tweet that tweet, to post that the Facebook post, to 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 post to, to post that Instagram meme, to clap back at someone we disagree with. Um, you know, and it's it's so I think that, that we're we're losing a skill. We're losing this ability to 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 stay in relationships genuine relationships and to honestly listen to one another when we fundamentally disagree. And so I think that's the, I, I, th- I love that about the kind of work you're doing. And that's certainly what Clay Evans was, was um, trying to do. He was a bridge builder. He was, he, and this was the thing I thought was so interesting about him is he built so many um, bridges with, with folk that, you would say, Clay, no, that that person should be your enemy. You should think of that person your enemy. And he would he would treat them with respect. He would listen to them. He would come to the table and reason with them and and try to build bridges. And I think that's that's something not enough people are doing now. There's this obsession with blowing bridges up and the spectacle of it. People are trying to gain followers and, and followings by the spectacle blowing stuff up and 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 causing more division. So spot on with that, uh, Dr. Mills. Um, can you speak to a little bit more the relationship between the black church and the civil rights movement? Because I think there's oftentimes a little bit of a romanticized memory of its engagement. And um, can you just speak more to the, to that? Yeah. Yeah. So I, I think um, we often talk about, the civil rights movement in retrospect and we say, Oh yes, the, you know, the, the church was behind the movement and it, you know, and the church, some churches were behind the movement. Um, uh, many religious folk and, and, and people who believed in God were behind the movement, but certainly not all. And um, so I think that's, that's certainly a romantic notion that we have that all churches, all black churches were, uh, so invested in the movement. And the evidence of that is when I talk to people and I say, do you know when Dr. King came uh, to Chicago, so many black pastors were against him? And they're like, what? So that that's the evidence that we are kind of living in this romanticized notion that when we think back to Dr. King right after you know, the Nobel Peace Prize, and oh, surely everybody loved Dr. King wherever he went. Surely that, you know, no, he was he was hated by a lot of people and was hated by a lot of good meaning, uh, faithful black Christian folk. Um, so but again, it, part of that um, has to do with the complexity of Chicago politics and how some certainly not all some black pastors had already um, ne- were already benefiting from being very closely aligned with the white uh, political elite power structure. And so that made it, and some of these pastors had real needs because of the influx of like the great migration, all these black Southerners that were coming North. And all of a sudden you had these black churches and pastors that were trying to figure out how to provide for these people. So it wasn't all just nefarious. I'm going to align myself with Chicago political leaders because I'm trying to gain power. Part of it was necessity and practicality. They needed resources. So, and then certainly there were, there were, I'm sure some that were seduced by the power. So, but it was so complex. 
And so, um, but yeah, to your point, uh, there, it, it certainly, we certainly do live with a romanticized notion of, of black churches. And we don't often emphasize the ways that some of those churches and how some of those pastors were actively working against people like Dr. King and people like Clay Evans. Um, those are stories that I find fascinating because they're not often told. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah. yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, what else about your book uh, do you want to share that we haven't already discussed that you think is vital for our audience to know? Oh goodness. Um, I think as we're talking about like Clay Evans um, as a model for urban ministry today, one of the things that that really it's stunning to me, Lisa, is um, his courage. Like when I hear his stories about how he stood with Dr. King and how these city leaders were, and these these were like gangsters back in the sixty, like they they were serious players and the threats that they made against him and the threats that they made good on how he felt humiliated that he couldn't finish this building project. Um, He eventually got it done, but how for seven years it just stood as this monument of what his courage cost him, this unfinished monument. And he felt so bad about that. He said pastor would stand outside his church and laugh at him, wait for him to come out and say, hey, look, look what your your foolhardy mission cost you. Um, But his courage to to like plant his feet and to stay the course. And I think today we. Progressive Christian leaders have mastered the rhetoric of social justice, many of them are still struggling with fear of what living that rhetoric out will actually cost. And so that's the thing that I'm always thinking about now that, and I'm guilty of this, uh, you know, cause I, I mean, I'm trained, I'm trained in communication and rhetoric. So I know how to speak it and I know how to speak it to, to make a congregation hucklebuck, to make folk holler. I know how to do that. And, and, but then there also is this part when I think of Clay Evans' story that, man, like when you actually are living this out, it can look really bad in terms of a consequence. Like it can cost so much. And I'm wondering, Lisa, in many of our communities, if the reason why some of the problems, certainly not all, I'm wondering if some of the problems are not being fixed because we have people who have learned so well how to to articulate the rhetoric of social justice but are not quite willing to cross that line to to open themselves up to be vulnerable fully vulnerable to the consequences of what it will actually mean what it will actually cost so i think i think fear now fear um is is something that is preventing a lot of really courageous ministry work from happening the nail on the head with that as I'm having an event um, called Courageous Conversation. I myself <laughs> sometimes struggle with courage and knowing, you know, what a particular stance or um, just be- bridge building period, what that costs. And so, you know, it really, courage is really a big, big part of that. Clay Evans certainly taught me about what does it mean to, to take risks, Cal- calculated risks, risks uh, made after much prayer 
and thought and conversation and and, and um, collaboration. But I, I do think that we're we're living in this culture of um, I mean, look at look at even social media, the way that all these filters that we have to prevent. I mean, all these filters. I mean, some of them are fun, and it's okay. That's fine. But like for me, the the larger cultural phenomenon is that the all these filters that we have, we're we're creating all these ways. Uh, to not be vulnerable, to not be our full selves, you know, and, and I'm wondering how does that, are there other kinds of implications, our habits in social media, do they play out in how we lead? Is there a certain kind of a lack of vulnerability that plays out in our leadership ministries because of how we've learned how to get, engage the world and others through social media, you know? So, um, that that's something I'm constantly thinking about, like that we are a, a generation that is risk aversive, like we're we're terrified of risk, um, and I I think our social media habits are evidence of that. Like there, it's social media is a very convenient way to curate a, a very safe image, a safe safe perception of ourselves. Um, so I don't know, but it's a struggle. We all we all struggle with that. It's not something that's I think easy for any of us. Uh, but it's it's Clay Evans. That's what is so inspiring to me is um, he makes me think daily about like, how do I how do I walk that out? Like, how do I how do I how do I think about taking risks and being courageous? Um, e- even even when I'm unsure of what's what's ahead of this next step, you know, and so, yeah, that's so. That's so good and so helpful. How can people get in contact with you, Dr. Mills, on social media? And how can they get your book? So um, you can find me on social media, Zach W. Mills, uh, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, at Zach W. Mills. So you can find me there. My website is uh, zmills.com, just the letter Z, M-I-L-L-S.com. Um, if you want to um, enter a book, the, a book giveaway to get um, a free copy of the book, you can text the word uh, "the ship." So Clay Evans um, called his church uh, "the ship." Affectionately, affectionately was known as "the ship." This great image of a group of people moving forward somewhere better together. So you can text "the ship" T H E S H I P to four four two 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 to enter that giveaway. Um, and you can find the book on Amazon or Barnes and Noble, um, The Last Blues Preacher. You are greatly appreciated, uh, Dr. Mills. This has been a rich conversation and I know that our audience um, will enjoy all the helpful um, things you share on today. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Lisa, for having me. And uh, keep running on, sister. You're doing amazing work. And I love this notion of courageous conversations because I think the world's not having enough of them, especially with people who um, disagree with them. So keep going. Keep running. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Jew 3 Project podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode. You can tune into all our past episodes at www.ju3project.com. You can subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play. Remember not only to subscribe, but also rate us. That helps us to gauge how we're doing and how you're enjoying the show. And it gives other listeners 
some ideas about the show as well. So thank you so much for tuning in. Also, remember, we have our Bible engagement app in partnership with Back to the Bible to help you get better engaged in the Bible every single day. You take a survey, it assesses your strengths and weaknesses and sends you Bible verses based on those. So it's a great app. You can download the app by searching in your app store or Google Play, searching Jude3 Project, and it'll be right there for you. So thank you again. Remember, if you would like to become a monthly partner or a one-time giver, you can do so on our website or by mail. Just go to Jude3Project.com, hit that donate tab, and you'll see the option to mail in a gift or give online. We appreciate you, and I'm so, so thankful for you. God bless, and remember, here at the Jude3 Project, we're helping you to know what you believe and why you believe it.